first week of rookie camp, I asked Roderick Jones point blank how he felt about potentially lining up opposite Nick Bosa in week one, Miles Garrett in week two, and he smiled a little bit. He said, if I get that opportunity, that's a challenge that I'll welcome. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Penguins and Pirates in the same place that you found this. We are now 16 days away from the real training camp and the real beginning for Jones and for everybody to fight for their spots, particularly those who seem to be in situations that the coaches have identified as battle positions. There probably won't be a more prominent one in Latrobe than the one at left tackle. And there's more to it than just left tackle, but sticking with that for this theme, you're talking about Jones against Dan Moore. And this is where it gets a little bit messy. Because on one hand, you'll hear this, and I've heard it from within the Steelers' own building. You draft somebody that high, they play. Plain and simple. So you're moving up. You're getting Jones. You believe in him. You see him. You see what a specimen he is. You see uh, the character, the other positives that there are to like about this kid. And then you see him come into rookie camp. OTAs, minicamp, and do his thing. You know, there's not much of an opportunity to, you know, do good or bad an offensive line standpoint because you're not really blocking anybody. It's it's all just about technique and following X's and O's. But I heard absolutely nobody over there say, "Wow, man, that Jones, he was really terrible at doing these random non-physical things." Like nobody would say that. And at the same time, it was easy to see that Dan Moore had come into this same setting, not ready to just concede the job. Yeah, he took it a little hard at first. If you'll remember some of his early quotes in the talk he and I had on the very first day of OTAs, and he said things that I think a lot of the fan base interpreted as being uh, like like a concession speech. But you're going to have to trust me that over time, whether it was because of the coaches admonishing him to understand that he can still win this job or another job, which is why I said this gets a little complex, or whether it was Moore's more experienced teammates pushing him toward making sure that he competes as hard as possible to continue as an NFL starter, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure Dan himself would be able to answer that. Maybe it just came from within. Whatever the case, if you're Mike Tomlin, and make no mistake, that's where this decision will begin and end. You've got a couple of things to think about here. One is that going against Bosa and Garrett is a challenge unto itself for anyone, but specifically as it relates to Garrett, more is is it is it stretching it to say he's eating him alive? I don't even notice 
Garrett when he faces the Steelers. And I know there's always all kinds of stuff afterward. Well, he was playing with this or he was playing with that or whatever. Okay, great. But if he's supposed to be someone who's as good as T.J. Watt as everyone in Cleveland and a lot of the rest of the football world seems to think, I don't see that with my own eyeballs. And the reason that I don't see it is because I see Garrett most often when he's facing the Steelers and in turn when he's facing Moore and Moore has shut him down. That's week two. Does that mean that Moore, if he were to be given the starting position, would be just as effective against Bosa? No idea. No idea. No way of being able to predict that. Bosa's a different player, undoubtedly comes with a different arsenal. He's a heady player. He's going to be able to adjust. He's going to be able to show any left tackle he's facing for the first time, stuff they haven't seen before. But if Tomlin says, listen... I'm not messing around here. We need to get off to a good start. We've got a really tough, tough defense we're facing right off the bat in San Francisco. And then we've got Cleveland inside the division the following week. I, I can't I can't be running any kind of risk here and throwing a rookie out there. But then what kind of message are you sending to the rookie? And oh, by the way, what if Moore really does well? Hmm. Then what do you do after week two? Say, hey, Dan, we really appreciated the efforts there. Uh, we really uh, we we stood and applauded you for winning AFC player of the week two weeks in a row. <laughs> OK, but you're going to have to take a seat now for this kid. Can't do that. Can't even conceive of doing that. But you know how I might address this? And believe me, you don't want me coaching your football team, but I'm just going to share this thought anyway. I would continue what appeared to be a theme through the summer workouts of having more take snaps, starting snaps, first team snaps at both left and right tackle. Make sure that he's as versatile and flexible as possible in the event of injury, in the event of having to back somebody up, or in the event of taking either starting job if he happens to outperform Chooks Okorafor. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you'll know that I'm anything but a Chooks basher, but I also feel like there's still a lot that's left wanting to his game this long into his career. There are lapses. There are spells where you just go, whoa, Chooks, hey, 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 man, dude, hey, over here, what are you doing? And that's only marginally more acceptable on the right side than it is on the left. It's still not okay. And if more were to go over there and make an impact, just saying, just saying, when we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. Today's J1Q comes from Trey, who says, DK, not only is George Pickens a weapon, but he's also a dog who will fight with every ounce of his being to get the football. And if he can't get it, 
He'll at least make sure that the defender doesn't. I just don't see the risk of taking shots downfield with this guy. I am confident in saying that if Pickens is thrown a 50-50 ball, I don't see the pass getting intercepted more than 5% of the time. If it's such a low-risk proposition to throw the ball to Pickens, then the Steelers absolutely need to target him downfield much more often this season. What do they have to lose besides a down? Trey, you're responding, I presume, to the question that was asked at the end of yesterday's episode. And I respect this position completely. I don't know that I would agree with you on that 5% figure as far as in an interception rate because you're throwing in there as a precursor that it's a 50-50 ball. Well, a quarterback and a wide receiver have to do some pretty good work together to have a 50-50 ball deep downfield. A lot of things have to go right just for it to be a 50-50 ball. So a fairer assessment as to the risk level would have taken into account all passing attempts that go deep. Now, what I can share with you from watching the Steelers and their workouts this summer is that there was an emphasis on the deep ball. Heck, you can watch... Kenny Pickett's Instagram account right now and see that when he's doing his private sessions with Alan Robinson and some other guys, that's all he's doing. Everything's about deep, deep, deep timing. And when I say deep, I'm not talking about you know these intermediate 15 to 20 yarders over the middle to the tight end. I'm talking about deep balls. Kenny's got an arm. I don't know where this idea comes from that he doesn't have it. He can get the ball wherever it needs to go. And where it needs to go is to George. You've heard me saying that just this week alone on this show, that George needs to be targeted, not just deep. He needs to be the one who receives the most targets, but the overwhelming majority of targets when you're talking about anything that's over 10 yards in the air. Look, and if that means that he ends up getting double covered, if they end up sliding a safety over in his direction more often, great, great, because you know what? That's not currently taking place, and as a result, everyone gets covered. But you're not going to get any defense to respect your offensive versatility if you never even try those. You're never going to get them to peel back, particularly, again, those safeties away from the line of scrimmage. If you don't even take shots or if you just take one or two a game and it's just like a gimmick play or something, you got to put it up and you got to put it up to George. We're in agreement on this. We're not in agreement on the risk factor. There is a risk factor. There are tips. Um, there's a, you know, a ball that gets underthrown or whatever. George isn't going to have any control of it. Uh, what happens to it after that? But I'm with you not only on throwing to George Deep because he can get you six. Uh, I'm equally into it for what it would open up underneath for guys like Deontay Johnson and Allen Robinson. And then the big play potential that happens if you can throw underneath to Calvin Austin when the safety's lined up pretty far off the line of scrimmage. That's when you start seeing the real benefits 
of hooking up on even one or two of those. You know, once in a blue moon, you gotta get it done. You gotta put it on film. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers, and we're gonna do another one of these tomorrow. 